Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Last week, Pastor Phil brought an amazing message from Mark when uh, we see this incredible scene of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, while, while, he, while Jesus is up there with three of the disciples, they see this amazing thing happen, this metamorphosis happen before their eyes with Jesus, and they experience this power that's just indescribable. that they're trying to communicate something that really can't be communicated. They're trying to describe something that really can't be described, and there they are. They're on the mountain, and they're having this amazing just experience with Jesus Christ, um, and God reveals himself so strongly in those moments. And it's interesting because sometimes we begin to think, well, God, why can't you just reveal yourself that way all the time to every person? That way it's undeniable. That way your existence, nobody denies who you are. Nobody wonders whether you're real or not, but they just, why can't you just show yourself miraculously all the time? And the problem with that assumption is that the, that, that, that assumption assumes that Christ's goal, that God's goal is just to get everybody to believe in his existence. But see, God's goal is to get everybody to willingly want to have a relationship with him, to want to have a relationship with him. And so sometimes we wonder, well, you know, why can't we just stay in that moment? I'm sure the disciples were like, why can't we just stay here? Let's just stay here and just worship in this place and forget everything else. Let's just stay in this moment. Um, But it wasn't just a relational reason that Jesus came down from the mountain, but it was also a missional one. And this is important because the glory that they were experiencing was nothing in comparison to the glory that was that was about to come. And for the glory that is and was about to come, Jesus knew that he had to be abandoned, that he had to be placed on a cross to die. And once again, demonstrating that Jesus is the king that they did not expect. He came for a purpose. In fact, part of this scene, when we read it and we see him coming down from glory, coming down off the mountain into this sort of normality, this human, this human condition, when we see that, it is almost reminiscent of what had happened when, when, when Christ left heaven, when he left the sea of glass, when he, when he went through the corridors of time and space and passed down the Milky Way and passed by every spinning planet into the dressing room called Mary's womb and wrapped himself in flesh when he left glory and he came and he didn't do that. The purpose of that uh, was because there is a mission. There is something that he is doing. And this is in part what Mark is trying to show us. So what do we find at the bottom of the mountain? I wonder not what you would expect, not what you would expect. In fact, today's message is unexpected source, the unexpected source. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9, and if you don't have your Bibles on, you can follow us on the screen. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 8, and it says this, suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and and they saw only Jesus with them. They saw only Jesus with them. Look at somebody next to you and say, all you need is Jesus. 
You don't need nobody else, just Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. I just have to pause here for a moment because once again, Mark is intentionally including this here because we see over and over again in Mark where Jesus is telling disciples and telling people that he's healed not to go and tell anybody what they have seen. And this is because Jesus was on mission. It's because Jesus had a purpose, which is the cross. And his goal is not so that way he can give everybody an individual cloud with a harp and a halo and a unicorn with rainbow hair that spits out glitter. But there is a mission there that that includes suffering and, and separation and death. And at some level, though it's not the same, Mark is also showing us that in some ways we too will suffer, that we too have a cross to carry as disciples. And what you need to learn, in fact, write this down, is that sometimes in life, suffering is a setup for God's glory. In fact, the cross was exactly that. You see the glory of God there, the justice and the, and the mercy, the glory and the wrath coming together. Let's continue verse 10. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. See, they didn't understand when he said, well, don't tell anybody until, you know, we, we, until I rise from the dead. They didn't get that because that was not in their mentality of what the Messiah was going to do. Again, unexpected king. Verse 11, then they asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet, why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with, other con- with, with, with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. Verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw, look what they saw, a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. Verse 16, what is all, what, what is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son uh, so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit sees him, it throws him violently into the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they could not do it. Mm. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring to me the boy, shady Jesus. He's calling it out. He's being bold right there, right? So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this, how long has this been happening Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible for a person who believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but but help my 
unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit and said, listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people were saying, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why could we not cast out the evil spirit? Jesus replied, because this can only be cast out by prayer. By prayer prayer. We come, uh, this whole scene of coming down from the mountain, we come down from a vision of glory to a conflict. Much like when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after experiencing God's glory and receiving the Ten Commandments only to find the people in conflict and confusion. We leave the foretaste of the millennial glory to return to once again another scene of pain and weakness and misery. And as one commentator put it, Mark is showing us how things have began to take a turn for the worse. The trajectory of Christ is now towards Jerusalem. His face is towards the cross. And now things are going to be increasingly more difficult for Jesus and, listen up, for those who follow him. Look at two people say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard sometimes. It's going to be hard sometimes. Go ahead, tell them. Tell the person next to you. It's going to be hard sometimes. It's gonna be, you should have brushed your teeth. You should have put in some mints. You should be chewing some gum. Don't be embarrassed. Too late now. And what's fascinating is that throughout Mark's gospel, it, it, Mark has almost had these short, uh, capsulized, fast-paced, quick points factual points about the events he described. It's almost like as if he, he, he's watching this, he, he's putting on some sort of picture and, and he's saying, okay, next clip. And he describes what it is. And then he says, okay, next picture. And he describes what it is. And it's this fast moving scene, this fast moving book. Um, uh, but then when we get to this particular part about the father and the boy and the demon and the bottom of the mountain, we see something very interesting in Mark. See, the other gospel writers, they usually give detail and take time, but then with this particular portion, they actually were very quick about it. They, they, they wrote almost like Mark did. They just kind of said the point and moved on. But yet, Mark is the only one that took time to really talk about, to really give us details about this situation. So, in a book that is fast-paced and precise and to the point to all of a sudden stop and cause us to really look, it forces us to ask why. Why did Mark want to take time on this scene? What is it that he's trying to teach us and show us through the Holy Spirit? And I believe that as the message unfolds today, it will become evidently clear. So down the mountain they came only to see that these three group of people that Mark keeps showing us, a crowd, some religious leaders, and disciples. You guys remember that? 
a crowd and some religious leaders and disciples. Um, and once again, we are also witnessing a manifestation of what it is to have two kingdoms colliding because there was a kingdom of earth, the kingdom of darkness, but now Jesus has come to bring a new kingdom. And so they're at war with each other. And, and so with that, what we see are we see religious, religious leaders arguing and criticizing the disciples because they cannot exercise the demon. They cannot seem to tap into the source that they need. And I believe that there are a few things that Mark is trying to teach us about uh, accessing the unexpected source. Ready? Yeah. First, helpless not self-sufficiency. Helplessness, not self-sufficiency. See, culture says, our culture says, listen, if you, if you just look down deep, you can find the strength that you need to be effective and to be successful and to make it through hard times. All you have to do is just look deep within and, and in there you'll find your identity and who you really are and you'll, 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 you'll find your ability and, and, and the aptitude that you need to be able to conquer difficult things in this world. Just look inside of yourself. That's what our society says. In fact, that message saturates all of culture so much that we don't even recognize it. Let me give you an example. In our house, I have three daughters, uh, nine, seven, and five. And so in our house, Disney movies are huge. Anybody else, you know, Disney movies, it's like 24-7 almost, right? And... Um, Disney movies are big, and we're constantly singing them, and we're constantly, you know, quoting them, and it just it gets stuck in your head. And there are certain Disney movies that we tend to like more than others. There are certain Disney movies that my girls will watch over and over and over and over and over and over again, over again, right? And one of those movies is Frozen. Frozen. And what I want to do is I want to read to you some lyrics that are going to become very familiar to you. Um, and I want you to watch how Queen Elsa says exactly what our culture believes. You ready? I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. <coughs> but I did bring my glitter dress. So if you could <coughs> watch this, <laughs> let it go. Let it go. <coughs> Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. I don't care what people say. I don't care what the other person believes. But, you know, it's all about what's in me. Look what it says. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. Let it go, let it go. Now, I'm not telling you not to watch Frozen. We'll probably watch it tonight. Um, and I'm, I, I have nothing against Disneyland because we go and we love it. But what I'm saying is, is that message comes to our culture and in our society to where we don't even recognize it or identify it. And, and this screams in Western culture, um, but it also has Bay Area written all over it. 
that says, you know, you don't need God. T- take God out and watch how free you really feel. Just, you know, take God out of the picture and no right, no wrong. You'll feel free, you know, type of a thing. <laughs> and you can live the way I want to live and do what I want to do. And I- I- I'll really be me. But you won't. You won't. Because instead, you end up living what your culture says. And you don't even recognize it. You don't even recognize it. Secular society isn't the only one that's being self-sufficient or self-reliant. Religion does as well. Religion is when you say, I've lived the faithful life, now bless me. That, that, and when you say that, that means you're having faith in you. That's being your own savior and being your own Lord. You're, you're trying to save yourself. It's almost as if you're on a deserted island and you find something that you can write a message on and you put it in a bottle and in the message you say, please, you know, help me out and, you know, I need help. And you throw it out to the ocean. A couple days later, you see another bottle out there glimmering in the sea and you get excited. You're like, oh, someone's responded. They're probably telling me they're on their way. They're going to be here any minute. You run out, you grab the bottle, you open it up just to realize that it was the message you sent coming back to yourself. Religion says, especially here in America, that if you have enough faith, then you'll see healing and miracles and your prayers will be answered. And if you're not experiencing these things, then it's because you didn't have enough faith. That's, good. That's, good. Explain that. That's what it says. And so, and so if somebody uh, doesn't get healed, then, then the common thing is where people think, well, you know, maybe they did something wrong. Maybe they're, they're not close enough to Jesus. Maybe they just need to pray more or study more. It's probably because they didn't show up to connect all the time or probably because they didn't pay their tithes or probably to, whatever it is, there's this thing inside of you. In fact, um, my sister-in-law, Martha, whose, whose husband has passed away, was sick in the hospital, and I remember a sister in her church um, coming to visit and to pray over him, and then after, they had a dialogue, and this sister with Martha were, were talking, and what she told Martha was, listen, you're just, the reason that your husband is not healed yet is because you just don't have enough faith in Jesus, and you need to get more faith, more faith. But if you read this scene carefully, you will see that once again, Mark is showing us and Jesus is teaching us, write this down, that it's not the quantity of faith, but the object of faith that makes a difference. It's not the quantity of faith, but it's who your faith is in that makes a difference. Notice in verse 19, when Jesus tells them, you faithless generation, He wasn't saying that they don't have any faith. He was saying that they don't have faith in him. That's that's what being faithless meant, that their faith was in themselves, the ability to do this on their own, you see. And the only figure in the entire scene that gets it is the boy's father. So when he goes to Jesus and he asks him to heal his son, Jesus doesn't say, well, uh, look, purify your heart and get rid of all of your doubts and your double-mindedness and your fears and your insecurities. And once you're completely pure, doubt-free, then I will heal your son. That's not what he says. 
That's not what he says. But, but, but the father comes to Jesus and says, listen, I, I'm not faithful. I can't do it. I cannot muster the strength necessary to meet the moral and spiritual challenges. Help my unbelief. That, my friends, is saving faith. That is having faith in Jesus Christ. When you say, listen, I cannot do it on my own. I, I, I don't know how to do this. I, I need you, Lord. That is saving faith. And the only way is to say, I'm not faithful. I'm riddled with doubts and fears. I don't have what it takes. I need you. You see, if you're going to tap into this uh, unexpected source, you have to come to a place where you're like, I need you, God. I remember when Eden was born, and uh, it was a difficult birth, um, and, um, you know, my, all the births have been difficult for me, um, and, but it was, a, it was a particularly difficult birth, but praise the Lord, Eden was born, um, but... But, but, the, but there was something going on, and so what happened was they ended up putting her on, uh, on a particular list uh, of, of infants that weren't expected to, to live. And I remember clearly the doctors coming in and talking to Becca and I and telling us that we should be prepared never to take our baby home. Wow. Yeah. And I remember in that moment realizing what it is to be like, God, this is out of my hands. I don't even have the faith for this. I, I, don't even, I, I, I don't even know what to do or where to go. But what I do know is I need you, Lord. I need you, God. And it wasn't just in those, in those situations that, that, that seem extreme and difficult to go through, but, but also in everyday life, in every moment of how we live. Helplessness, not self-sufficiency, but there's more. The second thing that we learn here is to trust, to trust the king. See, here is a father worried about his son, and kids will do that to you. See, you will go through life and you'll have little worries here and there um, and, and you'll have to go through some situations. But let me tell you something. Children will worry you to death. I, I used to be able to preach to people on how to be the perfect parent until I had children. And then I didn't know what to... And so I, tur I just steered away from that topic completely. Because they will put you in panic mode. I remember, baby, remember this? I remember being in the Disney store. Remember this? Yes, baby, you remember. And um, by the way, you look good, honey. Yes. I'm glad you're sitting there so you don't distract me. Jesus. Um, she up in the front row. We may cut the message short. Um, and so... <laughs> And so I remember we're, we're in the Disney store, and we're, we're, all of a sudden we're looking around, and we cannot find Adeline for anything. She's our middle child. Of course, had to be the middle child. <clears throat> <laughs> and all the middle, middle children said yes. Um, <laughs> 
And so, and so, you know, we can't find her anywhere. And, and at first we thought, oh, we're just maybe not seeing her and stuff. And, you know, and then a few seconds goes by and you realize you, you, you really are not seeing her. And so we started like turning over Mickey's and, and flipping over, you know, Donald Duck's and, and we're going through and we're just like, we cannot find her. And she is nowhere in this store. She must have exited into the mall. And so at this point, we are panicking. And so I say, babe, you go that way, and I go this way, and I start running. I'm going, Adeline, Adeline, where are you? And I'm worried because at that time, she kind of looked like me. And I said, you know, she's going to get kidnapped with those looks. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be like, no brainer. You coming with me, you know? And so I was panicking. I'm running around, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Adeline, Adeline, Adeline. And there's the lady with the, with the you know, samples giving out the food. She's like, would you like a sample? And I'm like, no, I don't want a sample. I'm trying to find my daughter. Okay, I'll take two. Can I get the bigger one right there? That looks like a bigger piece. I'm going to need energy to run around the mall to look at the... Kids will stress you out. And so, and so here's this father, and he has this son. He doesn't know really what to do. And, and, and so he brings him to Jesus, and watch this. Jesus begins to pray. Now, just the fact that Jesus shows up on the scene, the disciples must have, must have been like, whoo, yes, go ahead. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and begins to pray for the son, and the son gets worse. Y'all. The son dies. The son dies. When he, he, he gets worse. When, when Jesus begins to deal with the son, the son gets worse. And here's the problem. Everybody wants the spoils, but nobody wants the war. Everybody wants the victory, but nobody wants the battle. Everybody wants the championship belt, but nobody wants to fight. You see? Everybody wants a crown, but nobody wants a cross. When Moses went up to the mountain and said, God, you know, give me your glory. Let, let me see it. It's because there's something within us that, that wants glory. We want to wait. We want, we want significance. We want to fill that. We, we, we're starving for importance. Um, and, 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 and in some ways, it's okay. You know, it's okay to, to be good at your job. It, it's okay to, to want to have a healthy family. And, and it's okay for you to be proud, a proud parent or 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 to be a, a proud spouse, or even to be proud in your ethnicity, um, or whatever it is, it's okay for you to earn education or work your way up the corporate ladder. That's okay, but if that is where your source of glory comes from, if that is where your source of significance comes from, then when things go wrong in life, which they will, you won't just be sad, which you will be sad, and you won't just weep, which you ought to weep. And you won't uh, just hurt, which you will hurt, but you'll be despondent. You'll be hopeless. You'll feel meaningless. And watch this. Only if Jesus isn't just someone that you know is important, but is the very source of your significance, where he's the source of your glory. you're, You're not trying to produce your own glory, but you are reflecting the glory that he is. Your value is built on him. Then when certain things come up in life, they don't destroy you because your identity 
identity isn't anchored in anything finite, but to the one that always was and always is and always will be. Your identity is tethered to the one who when the grass fades and the flower withers, that his word will stand forever. When Jesus goes from being a means to an end to being the end himself, then that is when you begin to understand and connect and you begin to place trust in him. Because church, write this down, we do not just go to Jesus to be in heaven, but we go to heaven to be with Jesus. See, Jesus isn't a means like, oh, I want heaven, so I need to go to Jesus. No, 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 it's we want Jesus, you see? And so heaven is the means by how we get to Jesus. And, and when Jesus goes from being the means to the end uh, and being the end in himself, then, then what you are doing is you are able to do like the Father and say, I am going to bring you something that is precious, and I am going to trust you in the process. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. See, watch this. When, when Satan was in the garden with Eden, and, and, and he went to Eden and said, um, Listen, why don't you eat some fruit? And, and Eden basically said, um, you know, we can't. If we do, we'll die. And, and then Satan said, did God really say that? Did God really say that? What's interesting is Satan did not try to convince Eve that God did not exist. He doesn't mind you believing God exists. But what he did do, what he did do is say, listen, it's okay for you to believe he exists. Just don't trust him. Just don't trust him. And the question here is, can you trust God with, with things even when it seems like they get worse? Or, or are you relying on yourself and the work you do instead of the work Christ did? See, Because when you look at the sun, what you find that is interesting is, is this scene. And when you look at him, who you really are looking at is me. What you're really looking at is you. Because you're looking at what sin does, how sin controls and manipulates and pollutes, how sin strips you of your identity, how it dismantles and it deforms. And when Jesus got to him, he died, but he didn't stay dead. Oh, hallelujah. He died, but he didn't Stay dead. Oh, yes. Praise God. And really, this is a foreshadow, a depiction of what it means to die in Christ and to share with him in the power of his resurrection that we too must die and live again. There must be a second birth because in the womb, sure, you're living, but to stay there will only eventually lead to death. But to go from life in the womb to life out of the womb takes birth. And what's happening with this boy is a glimpse of what ultimately will come, that there will be a resurrection under the power of Jesus, that all things will be, will be restored, that one day sickness and death and deformity will be no more, that there will be an eternal, ongoing, intimate relationship with God, that one day paradise lost will become paradise restored. You see how the glory of God will not be confined momentarily to a top of a mountain. But one day it'll be saturated with this very universe. You see. 
because we trust him. Because we trust him. Not because of what you can do, but because of what he has done. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Roger. If the disciples were able to cast out demons before, why not now? Why not now? Here's why. Because they did it without praying. How arrogant, how clueless they are to their inadequacy to deal with the evils and sufferings of this world. The disciples tried prayerless exorcism for the same reason that they couldn't understand why Jesus had to die. Because they did not understand the depravity of sin. They didn't understand the state that they were in. And so that leads me to point three that we learn the real source, the real source. See, what's interesting is, is what's happening here is the, is the mountain. Is, we see Christ in all of this glory, preparing him and talking to him and discussing with him about the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus didn't call God Father But he said, God, why have you forsaken me? But on the mountain, God comes and says, this is my son. On the mountain, Jesus is embraced and clothed. But on the cross, he is rejected and naked. On the mountain, he is surrounded by light. On the cross, he is surrounded by darkness. And the Bible says that, in the, the, that when he died in the temple, the back section of the temple was the Holy of Holies, and there was a thick curtain of veil that, that, that went from the ceiling to the ground. And when Christ died, that veil was ripped from top to bottom, but not so God's presence could get out, but so we could come in boldly before the throne in prayer. Because before then, communication between God was really done between high priest and priest and God. Uh, But now God is saying, listen, every person can come to me and commune with me and talk with me and have relationship with me. That that, that Jesus then becomes the high priest, you see. Boldly before with prayer. Yes, Mark is showing us the work of Christ, and yes, he's also showing us what it is to be a disciple, but he pushes it even further and shows us that, that as disciples, whatever we do can only be done effectively if first there is a communicative, communicative relationship with Christ, and second, if that, that power that Jesus gives is bestowed upon us and only in that way. See, the glory that, re, that, that we reveal in this world, the light that we shine in this world, isn't because we produce it, but because we reflect it. It isn't because we produce it, it's because we reflect it. We are not the source. Look at somebody and say, you're not the source. You're not the source. You're not the source. Look at somebody else and say, you're not my source. You're not my source. You're not my source. <clears throat> Remember how I mentioned earlier that Jesus called them to be, to be, that he called them and he said, you faithless generation. Remember that? Other translations say unbelieving generation. That's because, watch this, write this down. The prayerless life of a Christian is equal to the godless life of an atheist. The prayerless life of a Christian is equal to the godless life of, of an atheist. Your prayerlessness is a sign of your unbelief in God. 
In fact, John Bloom, who writes articles uh, for a group uh, called Desiring God, an organization that's founded by John Piper, he says this, look at this quote, prayerlessness is not fundamentally a discipline problem. At root, it is a faith problem. Prayerlessness is not fundamentally a discipline problem. I just need to be more disciplined in my prayer life. No, at root, it's a faith problem. And when I say prayerlessness, I'm not talking about a life completely void of prayer. You know what I'm saying? Well, I do pray. I pray. I pray over my burrito every time I eat it and, 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 and over the grilled cheese and, and when I'm in trouble. No, 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 no. What we're talking about here is a life of prayer, of a life of prayer. You see, Jesus is saying that the reason they couldn't defeat the demon isn't just because they didn't do, throw up a quick prayer right away, but it's because they had a prayerless life. They, 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 there's this lifestyle of praying that wasn't there. And, and, and we aren't communicating with God in prayer for many because prayer feels burdensome or, bur, or, or boring, or even perhaps it feels like a futile exercise that we rush through in sort of a mechanical, obligatory way. And when we do pray, our prayers seem feeble and, and powerless. And, and all it does is just lead to less praying. And all of a sudden, we don't have what Luke says, pray and don't lose heart. How do we access the source? It's interesting, Jesus said, let me teach you how to pray. Remember that, Matthew? Let me teach you how to pray. In other words, it's not a natural thing. You're not just naturally going to, you don't just are born and you naturally are like, I'm going to sit down and try to pray. Right? In fact, what's interesting is that praying sometimes is difficult. In fact, I find that it's harder to pray for 30 minutes than it is harder to preach for 30 minutes. Because I don't know about you, but I've never been preaching. And in the middle of my preaching, I just forget that I'm preaching. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm preaching. What am I doing? And I start talking about something else, right? I've never done that. Like I've never been preaching and, and as I'm preaching and as, and, as, and as I'm, you know, looking at the, at the word of God and I'm telling people about Jesus, I've never just all of a sudden been like, oh yeah, and then cheese is beautiful. And, you know, oh, I need to clean the house right now. And, I, I, and for God, but, but that happens in prayer. But that happens in prayer. And then, and then he says, and then when you do pray, pray like this, our Father, our Father, you see, our Father. This relational prayer. You say, you know what, Pastor Rogers, I've been saved for, you know, 10 years. I've been saved for 20 years. I mean, I know, you know, our Father, like, you know, that's basic. No, 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 no. See, the reason your prayer feels mundane and lifeless and powerless is because you still haven't gotten the concept. You still haven't gotten the concept. Really quick, look at this as we go, as we go to a close. Galatians chapter 3. Paul says this to the church there in Galatians. He said, I would like you to learn, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? Are you so foolish that after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? 
See, in other words, listen, are you still living by the Spirit of God? Or, or have you, did you start off that way? Did you start off living in the Spirit, but, but now you're trying to do it in human effort? See, when, when it talks about trying to be finished, it means, it means to be completed. And, and, and are you trying to complete yourselves? That's what the disciples were doing. They were trying to complete their selves through their own works and through their own efforts, right? Do you look to Christ to completely or, do, or complete you or do you look to others to complete you? See, the reason some of you are still mad at that person and cannot forgive them for hurting you is because you're still looking at them to completely, to complete you, right? Think the reason your marriage is such a struggle is because in some ways you're still looking to your spouse to completely you. The reason you're still bitter about not getting you know, accepted in that university is because you were looking at that university to complete you. You're still putting your trust in your abilities, in your resources, in your talent, in your intellects, in your looks, and in your connection. The reason you don't have a lifestyle of prayer is because you're looking at your own self-righteousness and your own works. You're saying, I don't need prayer. I got this. I can go and work. I don't need to pray about working. I can drive. I don't need to pray about driving. I, can. I got this. I got this. Look at this. There's a hymn that says, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Until you realize that I've been trying to complete myself and trust in my own effort, and I need to transfer that trust into Christ. Until you realize that he is the source of everything you need. Until you get that, then you are gonna struggle like the disciples struggled with trying to just go through life. Because the way you make progress in the Christian life is the same way you entered the Christian life, through the Spirit, through trusting in God, through trusting in God. So today as we go to a close and we, and we, and we look at what Christ is doing, and, and when you drink the, the cup and the juice flows down your throat, let it be a reminder of how much you and I need him. When we, when we eat the bread and, and we feel it within our teeth and on our tongue, let it be a reminder. Let it be a reminder of how much we need Jesus. Because one question that I get a lot is, listen, you know, why does God allow all this suffering and pain? And what I usually do is point people to the cross because listen, what the cross does is the cross lets us know what the reason is not. Why does God allow suffering and pain? Well, it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he doesn't care, you see. It's not because he's left you or abandoned you. He is your source, he is your source. Can we just stand and pray real quick? And I'm going to hand things over to Pastor Phil as we continue in this mind frame of worship and sacrifice. Lord God, I just come before you, Lord, and I ask that you forgive us of our prayerlessness. I pray that you forgive us, Lord God, because by not praying and having a lifestyle of prayer, God, we are saying that we do not believe in you, we do not trust you, that we are trying to do things by our own works and by our own intellect and by our own strength. But God, how wrong that is. 
Lord God, I pray, if nothing else, that this word has allowed us to recognize our dependency on you and how much we need you. Because Lord, as we continue to look through Mark, things are gonna get grim and dark. And Lord God, just as the disciples will need you, we need you today. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.